Gaming MBS episode 240. 240. Recorded April 28th, 2019. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad everybody's here. How you doing, Sean? Doing great, Brett. I uh, game yesterday. So did I. And I game crazy. And I, and I game Friday night, too. Wow. That's you just. Yeah, you're super gaming. So, what I was uh, D&D 5e, my buddy um, Nick ran his uh, Forgotten Realms game. And then Saturday was my Pathfinder Avalon game. Guys, like I said earlier, wanted to play Pathfinder, so <laughs> it beat the shit out of them. Yeah, that's good money there. <laughs> oh, that was that was good. That was good. They have not dealt with a Naga for a very long time, and they encountered one. <laughs> it fucked with them for like an hour. It was great. Yeah. It was so funny. It was funny on my part anyway. So what did you play? What did you do? Ran my Tomb of Annihilation Ooh. with the monthly group and gave them a, what is it, Frogamoth? Frogemoth, yeah, yeah, and they were, those things are tough as hell. Uh they 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 went they dispatched it in, oh. in in ease. And one of the guys in my group um, was like, "Oh my god, this thing is like, uh, you know," and he's just freaking out about how their sixth level. This is a CR ten monster, and they smoke it. They just annihilated it. They really did. Um, yeah, and then the hurt came later. <laughs> the hurt the hurt came later i downed two of them nice are they down, dead, dead down to two say uh one what is it one uh death save each and then they were healed but that's nice. that's the thing like well then it was oh then it's just the dm trying to get revenge because the earlier encounter was so easy you know that type of bullshit talk is going to happen no matter what. It is. My crew will do that to me. I've been with these guys for twenty plus years. So, oh, Brett's just coming back at us. Uh, like yeah. I go, really? Yeah. No, we're just we're just giving you shit. All right, let's go. Well, my guys had some hot dice for a while, and then cold when Nick was running, he could not hit anybody but my fighter. I took enough damage in one fight to kill all the other non-fighters in the group. Each. I mean, it was like a lot. Thank God the clear kept my ass alive. I uh. I had to make a save or something, okay. and I had to roll three d20s. Oh, that's what it was. Somebody had the cleric spell. I don't remember what it was. It was it, it's it's if they move, they get radiant damage. Oh wow! Okay, right. So there's a spell that you know the cleric can cast, and okay. as long as it's in place, anytime they take an action, they have to make a save. And if they fail, they they only take half radiant damage. So I literally I had three guys in the radius of the spell, and I rolled three d twenties, and they all came up twenties. <laughs> and I, I looked awesome. at him with my buddy Jeff because I always roll off to my right next to my friend Jeff. I'm yeah. like, like I, every time I roll, and if it's a twenty, I just point at it and like, look, Jeff, you know, like, hey, I'm not, I am not fucking with you. I'm guys. not screwing with this shit, right? Yep. He's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, you're all lucky. Somebody here is really, really lucky. Because if I would have just unleashed. Uh, but they, they survived. Um, my guys encountered a um, the big bad guy in this particular borrow. She 
was brought back to life by Erleg, horrible evil god. And she became basically an undead poison water elemental type of thing. Oh. It was nasty. Every time they hit it, it did splash damage for 10 feet in front. Or all around it, it would splash. <clears throat> it's poison. They did 2d10, save for half. Like, oh, we could do that all day. <laughs> you can do that all day, except five rounds later, you're like, wow. Every round, I just kept getting five, six, four, five points of damage. <laughs> and that's not on your turn. Yeah, it's just ha- that's because the guy next to you hit the mo- and then yeah. when you hit the monster because you did it in melee, then it hit you. Then right. the archers in the back peppering it. He's not getting hurt, but he's just splashing poisonous <laughs> toxins over the rest of the crew. It was awesome. It was yeah, fun. Encounters are like that are are they're wonderful. They're just yep yeah you yeah. Well, warm, the thing this is the thing the warm the cockles of my evil little game master heart. They do. So this message is going to go out to the to the bo- the boys and girls at my table. Uh, it's going to be Dustin, Andy, Vicky, Jason, Jeff, and Joe. If if they are going to just walk through encounters, and they will, that is not the status quo. I don't want the status quo to be like, combat, yep, going to cast this spell, we're going to waste them, and it's all going to be done. No. And if you're going to have 10, 11 player characters in your party... Yeah, you're going to go up against higher CRs. It's just going to happen. Oh, this is how this works, people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not about, I mean, I'm not like Brett where it's like, eh, screw balance. I'm just going to throw a big, you know, red dragon at your face. But I'm not going to have one monster solo have one attack every round. Well, you get to hit it 10 times. Well, you guys, where everybody in the party at least gets probably two Attacks yeah, per you're looking player? At anywhere from 10 to 15 attacks per round against right. your critter. Right. And they're probably dishing out some decent damage. Yeah, no. Well, the so, other piece, too, is that we've, we've chatted about I'm this before. I'm getting that, tired a little, getting beat up by myself a little bit, Brett. A little bit. Well, the other piece, too, <laughs> is, I mean, uh, yeah, it's fun to walk through the uh, through the plebes and knock down the mooks, but at some point, there's got to be a tough fight, right? Otherwise, not D&D. Really? <laughs> it's got to be to a point where you knock a couple down. You got to get the fear in the player, in the player character. You really do. No, the player. It's mostly the player. The, players, the, player. the players. The players need to fear more. They do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so let's see here. Did you pick an awesome dice for April yet? No. Okay, I'll have to do that. No, it's the 28th. <coughs> oh, it Next is. Week, Next week it is. Gentlemen. Next week you'll have to do that. That's so right. that'll be good. But if you do uh, sign up to our game, as, as I mentioned in the last few months and last weeks, if you go to Gaming NBS and sign up for our email, you'll be automatically entered to win a set of dice from awesomedice.com. Mm-hmm. If you do not want to sign up, that's fine, and you still want to take advantage, sign up or don't. If you place an order with Awesome Dice, like I did, I placed an order, Brett. I think you did. I got to get mine in, actually. Four sets cost me, I think, twenty one bucks. Um, I used the promo code Gaming BS and got fifteen percent off my order of over ten. You got to nice. place an order of ten minimum. Nice. Uh, yeah. So yes, check that out. Go sign up for our email. Oh, in addition to that coolness, uh, GameholeCon.com, EverCon.org, both are accepting submissions for gaming events. GameholeCon, of course, is in October, October 31st. Check that out. If you want to run a game under the Gaming and BS banner, that would be awesome. If you're interested, like, hey, how does that work? I'd like to run this game. Are you guys cool um, with this order? Feel free. You know, 
gamingmbs at gmail.com, right? Go to the website, email us, smoke signal us, however you normally contact us and say, hey, I'd like to do this. Is that cool? One, it's really it's great for us to know, hey, who's all planning to run games under our banner? Because it's great to get a kind of account and see what we can do to rally up some little tchotchkes and swag and maybe something for people to say thank you. And the other thing it helps us do is um, promote the games, you know, because if we if we get if you say, hey, I'm running a game, it's going to be this. I've got five seats, blah, blah, blah. That's that's cool. We're happy to, you know, point people at those things and tell them, hey, here's a list of really cool games. that are going to be run by some stand up men and women. So we'd be happy to help you pimp that stuff. Yeah, we only want your games to be full. Yeah, hell yeah. Makes you look good. And because if you look good, we look good. So there we go. Is that a Revlon commercial? I have no idea. It sounded like a Revlon commercial. That sounds like he's been tuning into some Revlon commercials. It might have been. I don't know. <laughs> um, so you you put us on Instagram. Is that what you did? I did. I, I didn't know if I could have two accounts and easy ma- easily manage them. So it's just simply uh, similar to Twitter where I could bop back and forth. So we're now on Instagram, and I told Brett, we'll, pay, we'll post only gaming stuff on that account. There you go. So dice, games, whatever. Cool. Put, well, that makes I, sense. I, I you know anything related to the podcast, but yeah, it's not going to be Brett's life or Sean's life necessarily, unless it has to do with gaming. Yeah, I mean, if my Instagram, my personal Instagram is is mostly hunting stuff and fishing, and most right. That's not why people are tuning into this show. So that's right. Uh, so yeah, we've got some pictures up there that we'll put up there and. I may even do an unboxing, Brett. I may un- I might do a, a an unboxing of the mask prop set. Oh, dude, you totally should just to oh. revel in the awesomeness therein. I don't know how intriguing it will be as much as like, well, here's a bunch of letters and documents and stuff. Well, just, like that. If not, just the volume of it, because you, you talk about I've never I've not seen it right. I've yet yeah. to, I haven't been all your place yet to look at it, but just the heft of it going, this is clunk thrown on a scale. This is weighs it at 60 yeah. pounds. I mean, there's there's some there's some cool stuff in there, man. Yeah, so we may may put that up there. Did um, you make it did you make it to Forge? I did not make it to Forge. I wanted to, but the problem is, is one, they do a real shitty I'm sorry, Willow, you know, um, I just gotta say that the, the promotion and advertising of the con just is poor. Like it just needs to be better. Like put, I didn't know when it was. I know right. I know I could go out to Forge Midwest at ForgeMidwest.com or I think it's our, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know where to look. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's the domain. I don't yeah. know. Right. So this is what we've we've told other listeners before, and you know it, we'd love to help promote it. And I don't need a thing. I don't need a table. I don't need anything for it. Neither does Sean. I mean, if you've got a con that you think one of our listeners would like to go to, let us know got a website hit us with it and the sooner you tell us the sooner we can put it out there in our show notes and mention it to folks i know kev thulu was going and he's like hey i'm heading down to forge i'm like fuck that's this weekend i'm gonna be up north gaming with my crew god damn it <coughs> excuse me so it's this con for whatever reason sneaks up on me i you've been there and i know the people there. kevin reported back he said he had a blast so so it's Eli my mind because Eli i don't Kurtz remember was where there. it is eli kurtz was there ah. victor wyatt was there you know, Kevin, uh, Eric Farmer, some of the, and I, and, and I wanted to see those guys for sure, but yeah, you know, I never, I never, it always sneaks up on me. I never know when it is. It's never in my calendar. Somebody's going to, Tim Jensen, he's local and helps out Willow, you know, is involved with that as well. 
I mean, he's going to email me and say, it's the X weekend of April every year. You dumbass. Right. Still, they, I think they only have a, they had a blogger, like blogger, email, blogger domain, um, mm. and would post on there and then it would go to their Facebook page. Well, if I'm not on Facebook, like, yeah. So it's just, I, it's other, good, it is, it is rough though. I mean, because I can tell you, even from Evercon, which is, you know, 1,000, 1,200 person con at max, so you get 1,000 people, it's still, there's a team of three of us running that and, we're doing everything we can to try to get the word out. So I know it's not easy. Right. I know it's not easy. I'm fortunate that I've got this platform to pimp my own con at. I can throw it out to people. <coughs> you know, but I think we'll help. If so Well, I'm, if we I'm get, mad if we get because info. I want to know about it. Like Yeah, I want to know. If I, if, I, if I wasn't mad I mean I didn't care. Then I then I didn't care. And I care because I like Forge Midwest and I like the games they play and I like the informality and it's free. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the people that go to it, and so yeah, it's, it's one of the few years I. And most of the times, I don't hang out there for like you know twelve hours or anything. I make an appearance and and see who's there and see what's going on. And um, I really wanted to get there either today or yesterday for just a brief moment, but it was the one day of the month that I scheduled my. Two of Annihilation game that we only yeah. play once a month. Yeah, and my Avalon game, my home crew was once a month. That happened to be this one. Yeah, I mean, if it was in my calendar, I'd be like, nope, nope, uh, I can't do that one. <laughs> yeah. That's Forge, you know. So. Oh well. Tell you what, though, next year, let's let's try to keep it, keep our eyes on it. And I guess if it's this like same fourth weekend in April or third last quote unquote last weekend of April, I guess I can just put it in there now. Yeah, if it stays the same, let's yeah. check. So, all right, all right. Um, apart from us feeling bad that we missed Forge, <laughs> damn it, Forge, we missed you. Um, let's uh, let's shall we move on? Let's random yeah. counter it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Random encounter emails, voicemails, comments for social media. You start. Topic suggestions. Yeah, we get some good inspirational stuff. Inspirational. You start, tidbits. man. Read, right. read. Matt of House V. Comments on recovering from a bad game. So, on perception, I prefer more narrative than gamist style now, though not too narrative either. I usually don't even have them roll for traps and the like anymore. They either have the skill required or not. Example, if someone, or in other words, if someone has a 17, they spot it. I don't get the enjoyment out of, let's check this hallway, as I did in my earlier years. Perception checks are used for spotting ambushes, guys hiding during combat, or when looking for something like a clue. I get the love of it. I used to be all about that, but it's not where I wish to focus my games on anymore. Fair. I'm 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 starting to see that same same thing as in my games as well, Matt. Um <clears throat> On hindrances, he continues, I have found some players abuse them. In the last Savage Worlds game I ran, I actually only allowed players hindrances with mechanical effects because one player in my previous game really abused the hindrance system, in my opinion. In retrospect, I would probably do some kind of Benny penalty for not using your hindrances properly, but let it be known up front. Yep. Not, not a bad way to go. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, continuing on. I don't prefer Kojo's way of character creation. As GM or player, 
and I do a fate style creation for any system I run in now. And I have done roll as you go several times, but isn't that a good thing that he eliminated those people as not a good fit? Not everyone, not everyone works at the same table together. Hell, some people can play some games together, but not others. I ran into this situation about a decade ago. We had a great group for Pathfinder, but not so good for Shadowrun. I have run into that as well. Yep. yep. But leisure time per week is limited. For me, very limited. Assuming you have options for gaming, there's nothing wrong with passing on games that don't interest you when you can spend that time somewhere else. Just as GM... As a GM should discriminate on bad players, at least that's my opinion. I will grant when I was a, I will grant when I was younger and had an extra twenty hours a week, I played everything I could. But when I'm struggling to fit one game every two weeks, I have no desire to get into a game that I'm not highly invested in, and that could include your character, setting, system, style of GM, etc. Edit, you guys actually touched on this very well later in this episode. Ignore my post now. No, we will not. Too late, Matt. (laughs) People do grow. I have friends I love dearly that I don't want to see more than once a decade anymore. Good points, though, Matt. I mean, there's one of the things I appreciate about the way Kojo laid out his piece, and I see you you named it too, is, you know, if that's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And I think there's that's part of the beauty of being an adult and saying, hey, you know what? This just is not my thing. This isn't a good fit for us. I will stand aside, let you guys go do what it is you got to do. Good stuff, though. Nice perspectives. <clears throat> All right. So let's see. Andy from House Hall emails us. Hey there, Brett and Sean. I just listened to the Recovering from a Bad Game Show. Oh, Bad Game Show. Haha. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is a great and universal topic, but I have some armchair quarterback notes. You approach the topic from a GM perspective. Maybe you could have approached the topic from a player perspective or a group perspective. After a bad session, what can the players do? You know, Andy, good point. I think we may have to come back and revisit it. DM Kojo always provides good grist for the middle, doesn't he? I have an old love for old school D&D, but nowadays I consider myself a pretty big Savage Worlds fan. For Kojo, <coughs> excuse me, instead of building a table of hindrances, check out Golden Glory for Savage Worlds, which is an attempt to create old school fantasy style game using Savage Worlds. Players can draw from a deck to determine hindrances and other parts of their character. As a Savage Worlds GM, I find it hard to remember what hindrances the heroes have. There are ways to sort that out. Example, table tents with each hero's hindrances shown, GM cheat sheets, etc. But nothing has really stuck for me yet. I just got to do my best to remember the hindrances. And as a GM, I think you want to have those hindrances in mind to personalize the game for the players. Fate also has the idea of compelling an aspect, so the GM can incentivize a player to make his trouble aspect affect an outcome. I'm not a huge fan of the compelling fate because if the player says no, he has to pay a penalty and hand the GM a fate point. It also seems very carrot and stick. Savage Worlds, and likely other systems, have have better ways to encourage players to invoke a hindrance and get rewarded with a penny, without the player player not being dinged for not playing to the hindrance. Keep the good conversations coming, fellas. Your friend from Niagara Falls, Andy Hall. And he's got a link, which you guys will see in the, uh, to drive through for Golden Glory, Seven Deadly Dungeons out there. So, Kojo, I think that might be worth you checking out. If nothing else, instead of having to build a table, you might be able to reuse something there. Could be cool. Yeah, thanks, Andy, for suggesting that. Laramie from House Wall emails us, Men of the BS, a whole bunch of things I kept meaning to sit down and bore you with. Episode 236. Ooh, wow, has it really been that long? Puzzles. 
me personally, I don't like other, I don't like player puzzles. I don't like player skill games as much as I like character skill games. I think they can be a point of frustration for players when they can't figure out the puzzle and play grinds to a standstill. Again, not to say it's wrong, it's just not my preference. I do put in puzzles, but I'll make it a non-specific idea, usually tied into the game world or region where if the players sort out the theme or whatnot, bonus to the die roll and move on. Granted, I also don't really like a linear path, so those puzzles might just be a side path with some loot or maybe a shortcut. Thanks for the Tecamel podcast. That's one of those corners of the gaming world I've always heard about but never got around to visiting. Thanks for the heads up. Though I think there was something missing in that episode. As though there was a missing voice. Who knows? Maybe the week off is what Brett needs to kick the rest of whatever has been trying to kill him for the last two months. That's true. Um, I do feel better. <laughs> we all need a little sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Brett got one week. Um, and Sean, I sincerely enjoyed that Mr. Raymond handed out a Sean Kelly calling card when discussing how to use the world. That's right. It depends. One last thing. Thanks for the bloopers that were trailing some of the recent episodes. I really got a good laugh every time. Thank you both so much for doing this week in, week out, just for the love of doing it. Hope to see you both again at Game Hole. Cheer, Game Hole Con. Cheers, Laramie Wall. Thanks, Laramie. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Laramie is one of those. He's one of the. I mean, every listener we've had that we've run into, like Game Hole Con or Gary Con, it's. <laughs> so I was like, where's Laramie? There he is. Now it's Game Hole Con. You know, he's he's one of those those folks we love to see. Um, like every listener we have that shows up, it's just great to see these these folks. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, no, very very cool. Yeah, I have um, the Tecumel thing was really cool. I got through part of it and then I had to take a phone call. So I was driving was up to Wausau, I started listening to it, and I had to take a phone call for work, call four other people, and I didn't get back to it. So I got a, I got I got an hour drive each way to work. So we're gonna get through it this week. Very cool. All right, so email from Ty of House Prunty. Hi, guys. Just wanted to chime in my thought on fate systems in general. I enjoy them a lot for what they do. I hear this from Fred Hicks himself, so I will not claim this as my own thought. And this is how he, um, the, he described the difference between fate and fate accelerated. Fate is about what skills you have to do a thing. Fate accelerated is, is how you do a thing. So for an example, in fate, you would say, I use my skill shoot in this role. Where in Fate Accelerated, you would say, I quickly pull out my gun and fire. I know, Brett, you're not into Fate, but this might get you uh, get you to try the game out. I know not everybody can be hooked on, every, on a very cool game system like Fate. <laughs> just kidding. Nice. Nice tie. Good dig. Anyway, he continues. Uh, they just released a new book that you might like to try, um, try out for Fate called Fate of Cthulhu. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd love if you pick it up to hear from a big Cthulhu fan of how they did Time Monger. Very cool. Um, I know, did, was P.K. Sullivan, no, who was involved, was that Rob Abrazzato involved in Fate of Cthulhu, or was that P.K.? Well, it, might, it might be P.K. It might be P.K., god dang, I'm just, I'm, I lost track of who said it on my Twitter feed, but anyway, I saw that, and it did get my, it did, uh, it was of interest to me, um, I have played Fate Accelerated, as I said, in the Dresden's universe, it was okay, but, uh, um, I'd be willing to try. I'd be willing to try accelerate and fate. I'd be willing to give fate a go as well. So, very cool. Thank you, Ty. Glad you wrote in, man. Mike from House P. 
emails a topic suggestion, kind of. I really like the discussion between you guys when you covered encounter crafting. Can't remember the episode number. You both have differing but very viable takes on how that should be done. Why don't you both take a short encounter, maybe the same encounter, and run it for each other? Oh, man. Hmm. I don't know about that, Mike. We could. Well, maybe. (laughs) I think that your podcast does a great job of highlighting that no two people have to agree completely on how these games should be played or run to have a good time on either side of the GM screen. And to my mind, this would be a very or be a great way to further discuss, among other things, the GM as a player topic. Cheers, guys. Great show as always. Mike P. Well, we could do that. We could, absolutely. We, we've actually talked about doing that before. We have, yeah. Um, either designing our own or doing what Mike is doing or mentioning is running the same encounter just to see what the difference is. The only thing I could see would be a minor issue with that is if Brett runs me through his encounter first, would that influence how I would run it against Brett? I think it absolutely would. Yeah. I, I, I have to think it would be impossible for me not to be influenced. One, because Brett carries handguns. <laughs> and <laughs> Not everywhere. Oh. Only, only when I talk to you. Um, so the other, this is a, you know, this borders into actual play territory, but you know, you get a guy like, um, like Joe Sway, Kevin, or um, Wayne, or um, somebody like that. Get them on the, get them on the horn. Have you run an encounter for them? And I run one for them. We record both of them. Oh, that would be interesting. You know, you run it for said gamer. I run it for the same gamer. All right, but I don't know how you ran it. You have no idea how I did. Double oh, blind, that is, double that blind. Is, ooh, that and is then what we'll do? Then after that, we'll go get an actual good game master and have them run it as well. Right. And they could see we could all learn something. <laughs> so that I mean, we, that, that could be like a win-win-win right there. That may have some wheels there. That's a neat idea, Mike. I like yeah. this. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody for writing in. We appreciate it. Uh, I guess we should get into the main topic. Yeah, let's drag it out here. All right. Right, Brettster. Well, Jim Fitzpatrick asked us a while back about consuming setting material. He uh, kind of alluded to, "Hey, Brett, you just wrote a setting book uh, for my Streets of Avalon stuff. How would, how do you folks, how should they absorb it? You know, how do you go about it?" And he kind of asked Sean and I. Well, then kind of he absolutely asked Sean and I. So, how do you guys go about doing it? How would you recommend somebody absorb setting material? And <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's. I've I've been thinking about this. I have a. Where my game group was in my hometown, I have a three-hour drive back from that. So this morning I'm driving back, and I'm thinking about this topic, and I'm like, man, I want to pull out a Sean and say it depends, or it's it's so personal. But I figured we'll kind of poke around here. But I, I honestly, Sean, I think some of this is going to be how do you like to consume stuff? What is the best way? Be honest with yourself, because if you're a type of person who's like, look, I just need a week. I will sit down. I'll pull out the Midgard book. I will read it cover to cover. I'll be happy as a clam. And other people cannot do that. They just flat their their approach, the way that they best learn and absorb and consume that type of thing. It doesn't work like that. So I think it's I think you have to start with a level of kind of self honesty or at least 
introspection, if you will, to get a little deeper on it and just say, hey, how do I want to consume this? What's the best way for me? And maybe you don't know. You have to try a couple different things. So, Sean, do you, what do you think about that as kind of an opener? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, sure. It is. It's, uh, it is. So I like to consume a lot of my material while I'm in my office. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. A lot of people do. On, the, on a, at my throne. Yes. Yeah. I, made we, out of, we know what you're gunning for. Made yeah. out of porcelain. Yes. We, we, it's quiet in we, there. We know what you're peaceful. going for. Yes. It's, I keep a couple books near it. I actually contemplated, I told Brett, I actually contemplated having a segment of the show of Sean's, what, Sean's what bathroom is, reader. What, what, what book do you have closest to your toilet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think one of the questions that this this kind of I shouldn't say begs the question, Jim, but I think one of the things that is kind of an underpinning here is the question of not only just how do you consume it, but how do you how much setting material do you need to know or should you absorb and consume and understand and so on in order to get started? Because the perennial favorite for people to pick on is like Forgotten Realms. But even I mean, if you listen to the Tuckamel episode, there's a lot of shit at Empire of the Petal Throne. Glorantha, holy crap. Volumes and volumes of stuff. I believe um, I was talking to Jeff Goad and Hoy from uh, Appendix M Book Club, which we recorded. I recorded an episode with those guys. I think you're Jeff, up next. Yeah, we didn't even mention that during the announcements. But <laughs> no, we should have brought that up. Anyway, we'll bring it up in die roll. Bring it up in die roll. Yeah. Anyhow, and Jeff was saying, and I'd heard this before, there is literally more documentation on the Forgotten Realms than there are on a number of countries in the real world. Oh, that is, that's crazy. That's oh, like, he, there are more Klingon speakers than there are Navajo speakers. This is a fact. That's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. So how the hell do you get into that? So I, my perspective, Sean, um, when I think about how much you need to read or know or what you need to absorb, if you know your players, you need to have enough to engage them. And I think engage them, create a good story. And I would take a, a page from like the DCC approach of Joseph Goodman and others that we've talked about before is small, right? If you're in Avalon, you pick a neighborhood, which, which, I, which is what I encourage you to do in the book anyway. But you don't try to absorb the whole thing. If you're in the Forgotten Realms, you pick the Dale Lands, you pick Waterdeep, you pick, you know, Icewind Dale, you pick a space where you'd like to start the stories from and then grow out from there. Because, you know, it comes down to how much do you, if you're the game master, how much do you need to have to have enough meat on the bone for enough, for enough adventures to keep people hooked and interested in an area, right? And once you've got that, if they look at the blank spot of the map and say, hey, I want to go over here, you go, all right, um, sounds good. Then you can go read up on that piece. So when I thought about it that way, Sean, that reminded me a lot of how you approach um Modules, adventures, the pre-written adventures, because you have said that you sometimes don't read them all the way through, or if you do, you're only prepping so many chapters ahead. At least that's what I recall you saying previously, so I don't know if that's still true. It varies. Okay. But, but so yes, it does vary, and I do think it is dependent upon your players, like Brett mentioned, and, and kind of what he's hinting at. I could play devil's advocate and say- Do it. That you don't need to know any of this shit. That's very true. I think, 
I think as game masters, we are somewhat somewhere in our brains programmed to know everything. We or we we feel compelled to know everything. Yeah, it's like it's part of the job description. It's part of the job. Hey, you got to know the world of Forgotten Realms. If you don't know the world of Forgotten Realms, you can't be a dungeon master in Forgotten Realms. Especially if you're afraid that a player may know more than you. We've talked about this before with IP, right? Star Wars. Oh, my, oh my God, what do I do? Yeah. I, I can't run a Star Wars game. Yep. Sean, I'm going to run a Star Wars game for, Wayne for PK, Wayne Humphrey, and yep. Sean Kelly. I'm fucked. I know nothing. Right. And, of course, it's going to suck because Brett doesn't know anything. That's very true. So why would we even do it? I wouldn't. Be a bad idea all around. <laughs> now, having said that, um, I don't. I think we need to know a little bit, but I don't think we need to know as much as we we need. I don't think we need to know as much as we think we do. We think we do. That sounds really wacky, but I I think I think that's the case. Um, so having said that, I would say that you you read what you feel is um, the you garner the amount you feel comfortable with and it goes to Brett going back to Brett small start small sure absolutely because then you don't have to know the entire world and frankly a lot of it is irrelevant and if you've got some ambitious players maybe they get the campaign setting book and read the whole thing I'm not a big fan of that anyway because mm-hmm. then I think it's not creating the sense of wonderment that really does help role-playing games. Not always, but just me personally, I like it that way. It's, there can be, I think you and I are the same area here where I feel more explored. Exploration is more real and more fun. Like, wow, I didn't know that, you know? And to your point where some of it's not relevant. So in the Avalon book, if, when you see the calendar, and you see a list of noble families that are the top 13 magistrates. But the story you want to tell is in the Southern Ward, down in the docks, about a bunch of pickpocketing thieves trying to solve the murder of the local blacksmith. Who fucking cares who the 13 magistrate families are? All you need to know is that, that if somebody asks, who rules the city? There's uh, there's 13 magistrate families. They, they run the city. Oh, cool, neat. That's enough. You do not need to know the Grimhoggins are this and the Potters are here and this is, you don't need that stuff. Well, there's a, there is a big difference between running a micro and a macro, right? Macro mm-hmm. level, and micro level. And if you asked Sean Kelly, who is, who makes up the current administration's cabinet, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I couldn't either. Right? No, uh, but I know he has one. Right. Well, and there, I know that there are seats that are empty. Yep. Which ones? I don't even know. The bench who he's fired today. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so some of those things, if you kind of equate those into the RPG world, you have to pick out kind of what is relevant to what the players are doing now and what isn't. I know this is kind of dance around. Jim is probably still crawling out of his skin saying, ah, okay, I get it. But how do you consume and what do you focus in on? But I think you have to have this if this mentality, this mindset going in saying, look, I do not need to know how the trees in the city of Avalon grow. I do not need to know what exactly the Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators is responsible for because I don't plan to use any of that guild here. I'm doing an adventure around a dead blacksmith. I'm doing an adventure in Star Wars on Tatooine. I don't care what's on Coruscant. 
Huh? See, I know two planets. Um, I don't. It's, good, it's not bad, but you don't need to know that. If you're on Tatooine, you need to understand that. You don't even need to understand the whole thing. So hopefully, if you've got a decent setting book, it says, "Hey, Tatooine is the first paragraph or two tells you the big chunks." Good enough. Moving on. Where are you on Tatooine? Oh, I'm over here. Okay, learn about that area. <clears throat> and I think if you get the mindset that you're going to break the problem down, um, and only get detailed about the things that pertain to the adventure you plan to run because if you do that then you'll be staying thematically to the setting but remember you're not hidebound to the setting material you bought brett's avalon book you played it for a year and you found out that wow i um i made up a bunch of uh different uh noble family names i uh i burned that whole section of the city down Good. I want to hear that. I want to have you tell me that story because that's great. You took it. You made it yours. I'm happy. And you didn't break anything. You're, you, as long if you want to stay true to the material, it doesn't mean to be able to quote chapter and verse. It means thematically true in Brett's opinion. And if well, that, that if that's your mindset, I think you can yeah. go farther. Well, that's a good point too. Is okay. So you're going to run a game at Emeron. What do you feel you need to know? And then if you don't know it and there's an instance of something that comes up and you don't know it as a game master, so a player asks you a question. How do lightning rails work? How do lightning rails work? Uh, magic. Moving on. <laughs> do you need to quote something right out of the book? If everybody at the table is very unfamiliar with Eberron and you're the game master, you can make the stupid... Lightning rails work any way you want. Yep. You can say, well, you know, you've cast detect magic on it because that's what you did. And it has, it's really weird. It's a bizarre mixture of different, you know, abjuration and evocation, all these different magics combined in some sort of, uh, yeah, it's some pretty advanced stuff. Kind of cool. Oh, wow. That's neat. Moving on. Right. You know, so I, I think that keep the theme of the setting in mind so that you can stay as true to that as you wish. You should be able to make the setting your own, I hope, that you feel free to do that. If not, if you need permission, here it is. You have permission to do that. Brett and Sean told you you can. If anybody gives you crap, send them to us. Um, <clears throat> but the other piece then is like, okay, you have all that. So how do you tactically go about consuming the material? Because I remember picking up the uh, the Greyhawk box set, which I have, and you'll read through it like, oh, here's the type of trees. And here's the other type of grasses that grow. And here's the, you're like, it's neat, you know, high school, college me. Oh, this is really cool. Nobody fucking cared about the trees. No one cared about the bizarre type of oxen or whatever it was. No one, it never came up. I know this, or I knew it like, like the back of my hand because I studied it because for some reason I thought it was important. But <clears throat> it turned out no one cared. So, Sean, when you grab a book... And you say, hey, I want to learn about this setting, like Eberron, for instance. Did you just start at page one and read all the way through? Did you grab the index or glossary or uh, appendix or something and say, hey, you know what? I want to read the chap the overview chapter. If you start reading, do you skip the flora and fauna crap and get right to the politics? Or do you skip that and get to – I mean, how did you – do you remember anyway, how, I should say, how, how you kind of absorbed Eberron to it when you started? Well, I think if you pick on a on – a, if you pick a particular – pre-published campaign setting, you got to get the core book, right? Comes, There's a lot of splat books now that are attached to Eberron. 
Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. So yeah. you're lucky if you got in on the streets of Ellen Kickstarter, and uh, there, yeah, they have, that's the core book. So you got that. You're leg up but you're correct i mean if you go and say hey i want to figure something out you know that could actually get tricky with the realms because i don't even know what the hell the current realms book maybe a sword coast book by wizards anyway well that's a good question like forgotten realms i mean the i think one of the better books for the realms would have been the 3.0 edition but i don't know if that's up to date now yeah there's a history of the realms there's but anyway, your point though is valid. If you can find the source or a core, right, to start with, that's a really good way to go. Even if you happen to go on, you go go to drive through, right, and you say, "What's the core book?" and you grab the Wayfinder's Guide, Wayfinder's Guide, and say, "Up oh, there's Eberron. I'm going to start there." Right. And um, yeah, that makes sense. Try to find the core of whatever the setting material is. Yeah, that's why so, I'd have to grab like a guy like Raymond and say, "Where would I? Where do I start with Tecumel, the Empire of the Petal Throne?" You know, right. asking that question. So you get that, and then me, I just read, like just read and read and read. There may be times where I will skip certain points. You know, I don't need to necessarily know. You know, as a game master, we need to know different things than the players need to know. Very true. I would almost go to say, I'm not one of those. People, but I usually because I usually read the class or race descriptions and I read the, like modifiers and all that. But frankly, if there was literally here's a player section and here's a DM section, the player section's like you get these modifications, and then the game master player or game master section is these this race comes from this area of the world primarily. This is usually their mentality, or it could be both. I guess player would probably want to know that, but there's also kind of the geographical parts there are the different cliques uh groups mm -hmm. you know some of those that may play a role but i don't again okay there's eberron this big world and then let's say i base them out of you know thrain for example so ah, and, thrain yes. yes i have no idea what that is and in thrain they're a part of some group, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that that group could exist in Eberron, in the in the actual book, or it could be something Sean thinks up. Absolutely. So it is a it's it's really how much do you want to be dedicated to regurgitating a lot of the information out of a book, or how much do you want to make up on your own? How much do you find it important to be one or the other? And so I guess I would just kind of go through and skim. So there's a, um, and I have to read up on Eberron. It's been a little while, but um, the Knights, uh, the Dark Lanterns, which is a group. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted the Dark Lanterns, who's in the service of a king, um, and I wanted the party to be a part of that, what do you think I'm going to read? I'm going to read about the Dark Lanterns. If the the I will probably read about some of the religions because somebody's going to be part of a church. What does that look like? And then depending on the adventure, if the adventure takes place in that country or I send them out on a mission. So, for example, Tomb of Annihilation. I'm going to run Tomb of Annihilation Eberron. It's not in Eberron. It takes place in the Forgotten Realms. Correct. So Sean's going to have to port it all. So Sean's going to get people that are from Eberron. 
and I have to get them together. So I'll come up with a solution to bring them together. And then I'm going to send them to Zendrick. So if you're not familiar with Zendrick, Zendrick's to the south of Corvair. And it's a continent all on its own. It's rumored to have wild jungles, savages. So what you're, what you're rattling off right now, how did right. you how did you grab that? So I'm going to have a place in Zendrick. So I look up Zendrick and read a little bit about Zendrick. Just enough. Just enough to know, you know, what is it known for? What is the climate? <clears throat> like, is it civilized or uncivilized? What are what's some of the things that they may run into? Is it jungle? What type of terrain is it? Mm-hmm. How do they get there? And then there's a city <coughs> called Stormreach. Okay. So they're going to run in, they're going to arrive in Stormreach. So I know a little bit about that. But other than that, I don't, they don't need to know probably 90% of Evera. Like just the no. classes will be open. Yeah. And I think the races. When, if you approach it in a similar way, a setting material, I approach setting material so very similar to how I do rules. When I got 5e, I absorbed how adventures work. I skimmed over characters. I skimmed over races. I skimmed over spells. Um, I looked into how to play the game. Because I'm 90% of the time I'm the game master, I don't fucking care how an elven thief works. I will figure that out the first time there's an elven thief. The players own the responsibility. We have to look it up the first time we play it. We look it up the first time we play it. It's a new game system. That's fine. The other thing I do with, <laughs> excuse me, setting material is I treat it very much the same. If I get to a section and say, oh, this talks about flora and fauna, I really don't care. I, I It's a large city. I understand they've got birds, so whatever. I, I don't need to know the types of birds. I don't need to understand mushroom farming. I don't need to understand. I, I, I flat out ignore it. I page over it. I go, oh, they have some stuff in here. Neat, neat. I take passive note in my head. I've been known to throw a bookmark or two in saying, ooh, interesting, so I remember where the chapter is because I just got this tome, right, and I'm getting through it. Um, but I go to the stuff that's like, how do I use this stuff? When I'm reading through, if they've used the power of the sidebar, the sidebar says, hey, the guards at any gate would be five-minute arms with the steel. Da, 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 da. Good to know. Okay, that that's kind of handy. Might put a bookmark in there. Might make a note. If I'm one to deface books, I might draw right in the book itself. I personally have a hard time writing in my books, but some people don't. So it's a good place to make a note. And as you go along, it says, oh, here's an example of how to set up an adventure in this setting. Ah, there, read this. And if it's written well, if it's written well and good, you can get through it and say, oh, okay. They may drop an example of a specialized class or specialized race or use a term of coinage that you're not sure about or Force points. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's probably in the core rule book. Doesn't, doesn't really matter. Just read this thing. How do I set the adventure up? How do I, any examples of play, um, a pre generated adventure in the back is very helpful for me to understand the setting because it's usually a showcase of how the author of that setting or authors want me to digest it or want the game, how would it, the, a good pre generated adventure in there should uh, showcase certain components, or you hope it does. So I look for the examples. I look for the very game master. This is how you use this. I have found that when I get through those sections of it, if it says, hey, you're in Sharn, and this is the important stuff for the game master to know. And if I'm reading it and I go, I don't think I need this as a game master, either bookmark it or ignore it and move on. Because I own the book. I can flip back and forth whenever I feel like it. I'm, I'm in no rush. And I think the other component 
to that is time. And I'll get, touch that in a second. But I tactically like to look at the things in the in the setting book that are, this is what a game master needs to know. And if it's laid out properly, it's seen, it should kind of jump out at you. And I think most authors hope that what they're doing, if it's game master specific, like, hey, this is how you set up an adventure in this setting, that stuff jumps out. Once I've read that, I'm in a pretty good position to go back and casually read the rest of the material. And the other thing I don't like to do is rush myself through the process. Oh, you just got the new X setting book. Yes, it should be really cool. It's a new star, uh, you know, Starfinder thing. It should be fun for everybody. Great. Can we play this Saturday? I just got it. It's Friday. Yeah, but we like to play tomorrow. I'd say no. Um, you know how long it takes you to digest stuff. Don't rush yourself through it because then you'll feel pressure, and pressure is not a good way to absorb data. Tell any student who's under a time to test or exam. But so, Sean, does that make sense to you? What I rattled off there? It does make sense. But I, I, I will reiterate. I think a lot of the players, when at least a lot of the players that I run with, are very caught up with the immediate what's in front of them right now. Yeah, that's why I think the game master, if they focus on how to run an adventure, they're going to get to that. Right. And in the adventure, you can put pieces and parts. Now, Jim's like probably like, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about those parts and pieces? Like, what? Do you, what how do you absorb those? And I think it goes back to what Brett's saying and, and what I said earlier. If there is a piece of lore, if there's a location, if there's a contact, and there is a relevance to the setting, then you look that up. I mean, I don't know. I would see the Eberron setting, I would read it all the way through and then, okay, great. I have an overview of what it's like. Kind of the feel, high level feel. Got mm -hmm. it. How the magic works. Great. Okay. The pantheons. Great. Got it. But all that stuff is going to be meaningless in an adventure. I mean, a ton of it is not even going to come into play at all. Yeah. Because what happens is the author is trying their best to give Enough information sandbox. for a number of other people right. who may want to use it for multiple things. I tried to yeah. do that with Avalon, and I, I may succeed for some, and some folks may read it and say, oh, you missed enough. I don't, there, I wish it had more of X. I'm positive I'll, I'll hear that at some point, which is fine. Um, But, yeah, it's the – I, I kind of look at it. There's, like, color or – fluff is too too terrible of a word, but there's, yes. like there, – there's color commentary. There's, there's neat data. There's, there's that – that type of trivia almost. And then there's the game impacting stuff. The game impacting stuff is the things you need to know, really need to know. So I focus on looking through that. And I treat that the same way I do a um, uh, a new rule set. In fact, I treat the entire setting book as a rule set to me. You know, I look for the immediate stuff. Like, okay, cool, I got this, neat. And I go back and I'll reread it. Yeah. It's never, for me, it is never a, and this is just how Brett reads this stuff. I very rarely start at the beginning and read page one, two, three, four, five in exactly that order. I get it and I start reading, go, that's kind of cool. Then I flip over because I'll make a reference and see chapter four for magic. Oh, neat. Chapter four, flip, flip, flip. Oh, cool, magic. Eh. Okay, cool. This reference is character gen, back to character gen, you know. Or, and if it's a setting, like, oh, as, as explained over here about guilds, oh, there's lots of guilds. Oh, cool. Wow, good guild list. Neat, neat to have. If the guild list is sidebarred, neat. I'm not going to remember the guild list, but I know there's stuff on guilds. Oh, this is how the buildings are set up, and this is where that is. So 
I hate to say it, but there's a lot of it depends here, really. How what do you need to have for yourself? I think being cognizant of that and being willing to say and admit to yourself or not admit to yourself, but just help help yourself realize you don't have to memorize any of this. You can note you can note the whole damn thing. Someone wants to go talk to the guilds, bookmarker in the guild section, note on your pad, whatever it is, highlight it in the um highlight it with a highlighter, mark it up on your PDF. And um, reference it because you it's a brand new setting. I think it is unfair of the game master or players to expect anyone on either side of the screen to right out of the gate just tell me what's on the third block from the fourth corner of the city of Sharn. I mean, come on. I mean, not everybody. You just got here. You just are exploring this together. You, as the game master, may be the supposed authority, but that doesn't mean you don't get to look in the guidebook. You know, it's okay. You're a new tour guide. As a new tour guide, sometimes you've got a you've got the book with you. You've got a script. You've got stuff to check up. And if you're really lucky and you've got players <laughs> who've absorbed some of the stuff, I I have told players in the past, don't worry about the game impacting stuff so much. Check in on the rest of it because I can use you to help add color. And some of the players I've gamed with over the years really like that. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's how that vampire clan operates. Oh, I knew that about the werewolves. Oh, yeah, I read that about the elves or the Sith or this or this other alien race or whatever the case is. When they spout that up, go, yes, that's that's great. It's kind of, as Sean and I have talked before about uh, IP and understanding those worlds. But I also will pass that duty off, if you will, to players sometimes. I don't know a lot about X. Now, Sean, you like elves. Did you read on? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I read a lot about the elves in Sharn, and here's how they, and here's what they really do. Oh, that's good. Thank you very much, Sean. That's helpful. Again, you do not have to be the only tour guide at the table. And sometimes that can be very freeing. And sometimes you have a group of players who will stare at you and say, that's your job. You're the game master. Why should I do that for you? But again, um, my perspective is I start with the game impacting information first, and then I go back and reread for color commentary. Overall tactical approach. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I take notes. I also listen to a podcast. I mean, it's like, hey, I listen to Christian and the guys over at Manifest Zone about keeping my Eberron's knowledge sharp. No, that makes sense. I'm sure there's a Forgotten Realms one. Or 10. Or 10. You could (laughs) listen to actual plays um, if that's kind of your jam. Some some are super hyped on it, and some maybe not so much. But um, those are a couple of different ways. Websites, wikias, uh, a lot of wiki on on certain places. Like you can just you don't have to read the core book, but you can get into different scenarios there. Um, I think what we said though about keeping it small and realizing that a lot of the detail isn't going to come out for a very long time, especially when you're starting. You know. 10 adventures in, five new characters for everybody because parties have been retired. You've made new characters. You've got on your 16th campaign in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, this shit's going to be just rolling off your tongues. You're going to know this stuff because you've developed it in play. Don't feel that you need to start grand and have absolute mastery of everything. It's not going to happen. Right. Right. You don't have to be the waiter that can come up and take your order and not write anything down and get it right every time. Right. Which still boggles my mind that people can do that, yeah. but you could you can be the person who takes the notes. You can do that. 
Well, and that I'm running Tube of Annihilation right now in Forgotten Realms, the group I'm in, they have no they have no knowledge of the Forgotten Realms. One guy does. Dustin probably knows a little bit. He's probably read some about it because I even brought up the Red Wizards that they most mm-hmm. of them were blank faced. Like they had no idea who they were. They I mean they were just oh, they must be wizards that run around in red robes. They don't know they don't know their position. They don't know what they're the politics, striving. anything. Nope. Nope. And and and, all and he, what's more, they don't care. And they don't. They really don't care. They're like, we're gonna run into these guys probably eventually. And one of the guys at the table that knows them's like, they're bad dudes, right? That that's it. I mean, that's it. Like, and so don't get caught up too much into it, Jim. Um, find your own kind of style and approach. But I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get too crazy. Like, I mean, I'm, players are like. Hey, we're going into the tomb. All that other shit is kind of lost and not overly relevant at that point. It really is, which is kind of weird, but it, yeah. it totally is. I think, I think, as a matter of fact, I think game masters prep way too much, and myself included. Agreed. I, I think mean, you just need to sit down and be like, all right, here we go. I pride myself on the fact that this last session I came into, I had no idea where the characters were going to go. I made up 90% of the monsters on the spot based on what made sense at the time. But it all, I mean, it all, it's all, it's my world. I understand the themes and the things that go with it. I understand what exists, what doesn't. When I say made up, I like drug in creatures, one thing I created. But you can do that when you have a thematic understanding of what's going on in that setting or the game itself. But I think, um, slightly, that's slightly off topic there. But the, the point is you can stay small. You don't need to know it all. And uh, if you focus on the stuff that's game impacting in the setting, that will give you a rule set to enforce the setting or help you enforce the setting with the players. And even as players, you'll then have a rule setting that helps you enforce or enforce a style of play that the setting is all about. So if if you're playing a game and it has light and dark force points, you're like, oh, that's important. These things, these things matter. Oh, I'm playing a game. It has bennies. Oh, I'm playing a game. And in this setting, I have a thing in my character sheet. This is water usage because, hey, I'm playing Hydra Hackers. You know, Phil's, Phil Vecchione's game. I'm playing Hydra Hackers. Or I'm in a desert. And because of that, because we're in the desert and from Sean's running us in this new world he's been reading about, there's special rules for thirst and food and foraging. So we have a new new piece of data to keep track of. Those things help impact the play and make the setting sometimes come alive, even more than describing the type of uh, pipe weed everybody smokes and the type of roast monster that they're eating at the campfire. So the rules mechanics can help a lot. So that's, what, again, last th- last thing I'll say is pull those game-impacting pieces out and leverage those to your, to your utmost if you can, and I think that will go a long way. Then adding the color in becomes easier. All right. With All right, that- Let's move it on, man. Yeah. So if you find a a method that helps kind of peruse campaign material uh, for your campaign that may be beneficial to Mr. Fitzpatrick, let us know. Otherwise, thanks, Jim, for writing in. Thanks for spurring the discussion, man. All right. Die roll. All right. Let's see. So, Brett, you were on a podcast. 
I was. So um, Jeff and Hoy, the guys from Appendix N Book Club, invited me on. Sean, I think you've, they've also passed you the same invitation. They have. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I've listened what? to Appendix N Book Club before. And uh, oh, you want to know what I had to read? Well, so my reading what, assignment. Tell them what they had, what they did. So, <laughs> what do you mean, what they did? Well, they they'd say, "Hey, you want to be on the podcast?" You yeah. sure? You want to be on the podcast? Okay. Sure. And they're like, "Okay, um, like, what do you need?" Well, here's your reading assignment. They give you a reading. They assignment. give you a reading assignment, and That's it's right. old school Appendix N, literally Appendix N stuff. What's Appendix N, Brad? I don't know what that is. Well, it's because you're an idiot. Um, so uh, for smart people out there, um, Appendix N anyway, in the back of the original Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual, Gary Gygax. Smart people and, might and already Tim, know this, Brett. Yes, and Tim Cast <laughs> have uh, a list of reading material saying, hey, Lovecraft, Fritz Leiber, um, I, I don't think Michael Moorcock even made the cut, but uh, Lord Dunsany and so on and so forth. They listed all these books and novels that were supposedly helpful, right? So that's cool. Um, however... Uh, I didn't read a number of those things. I know a lot of other people didn't. And the, I actually blame um, Joseph Goodman from uh, DCC fame because he made a very big point. I'm going to the source material, this appendix N, and making a game system based on this, you know, that, that look, that feel, and so on. So that kind of drove, um, I think, a resurgence in that space. But what they're trying to do is read all those books go through them, discuss the the ups, the downs, the, wow, that's wacky, and, oh, good Lord, that's kind of racist, and, oh, my God, what was that? Oh, wow, that's brilliant, and going through all those bits and pieces. So it was kind of fun. So when is that dropped, do you know? Um, I don't know. They were, I think they might have a, they're trying to get ahead of the game. So I think recently, I think I might be in two episodes from what just happened. Once I find out when it drops, I'll post it up here, but I don't know. And what book were you assigned to read, Brett? I was given a uh, list of short stories by Stanley G. Weinbaum. So within that, we had the, let me go, let me find my list here again. Uh, Martian Odyssey, Lotus Eaters, and the Adaptive Ultimate. Sci-fi stuff. It was interesting. I'm not yeah. going to spoil it. Right, you you got to listen yeah, to the show yeah, to hear what I think about the book. The so. Yeah. so we'll have a link in the show notes to the Appendix and Book Club podcast. Yeah. All right. So look out for Brett to quote some fine-ass literature. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, so Bullets Over Frisco Bay. It's a savage savage world scenario. It is currently pay what you want on drive Through RPG. And the proceeds goes towards Gen U Gamer in uh, Geelong, Australia. Um, that is a cause... That is run by our very own Pure Mongrel. So you can pay what you want. Don't be stingy because it goes towards a good cause. And uh, Genu Gamer, I'll have a link to Genu Gamer because I know Pure Mongrel, with, he's basically looking at how do games help people. I think it's in the society piece, right? Okay. Tying that together. So. Check that out. Another one, Wizards of the Coast opens a studio in Austin, Texas. That's uh, via ICV2. The new subsidiary will work on the creation of original IPs outside of Magic the Gathering and D&D brands. Hmm. It is head up by an individual there. It's You can read about it in the article, and that individual has some pretty decent chops. Nice. I think he's worked for Blizzard, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, second one, third one, hobby game sales total $1.5 billion. That's a lot of monies. It's a lot of monies, but RPGs is the smallest category, Brett. Mm, well, it makes sense. But it had the biggest move. It's up 18% from $55 million last or 2017 to $65 million in 2018. Not bad. Yeah. So check that out. It's we've said this before. It's a hobby industry, right? It is a but, hobby industry. But I mean, sixty-five million in a hobby space—that's respectable. Sure, that's not bad. Yeah, pretty cool. It's going to just keep going up. Yeah, I, I really believe that. I Millennials can't. are going to get more money, and they're going to buy stuff. And there's my ten millennial, times my, my millennial children are. <laughs> yeah, AJ and, owns more RPG how many you, stuff now. And how many do you have in your family, Brett? I got five and three. Five them, millennials. Man. Yeah. So how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one sister. How many brothers and sisters do I have? One. One, yeah. We're Gen Xers. Yeah. Demographics, people, that's where the economy is and how you can see trends. Well, look at like AJ and Alana. They ask for, and so does Connor, the three of them ask for gaming stuff. So because of that, for Christmas and birthdays, they now have more RPG stuff than I did at their age. Right. That's my point. But yeah. you also have three of them in yeah. your family as kids when you were the only kid in your family that was doing it. Yeah, pick up the slack because you don't have any kids. That's it. And I'm just, it's exhausting, and they'll send you the bill. But I'm, un, I'm unusual. <laughs> the point is, if you look on scales, Gen X, huge, Gen, or I'm sorry, Gen, baby boomers, huge, Gen X, nobody, and then millennials are, are higher than baby boomers. Hmm. So with their buying power, if they we can get those, that's why it's important to get the youth into the hobby because it'll just grow the hobby exponentially. Agreed. No worries about it. All right, there I'm off my soapbox. And then the last one that I have: potions of greater healing, small bottles with little with dice equal to the spell. Um, blood, blood jackal merch on Etsy. I thought this was clever. So what they do is they give like a little. It looks like an ink dropper kind of container. <laughs> and they put a stopper in it. But before they put the stopper on top, they put the dice in there. And the dice are the amount of what the spell is. So superior healing has more foresighters than the greater healing, which has more than the, yeah, nice. Right? So if you're like, hey, I want to take that spell. Okay, here you go. You pull out the stopper and you Shake roll the that. dice that's inside it. <laughs> that's cute. It's pretty that's, genius, that's right? Pretty you get a few of those, you know, uh, if you get one and you're like, hey, I got a few potions of Cure Light Wounds. That is clever, especially now. I mean, with the color of dice, right? You can get a series of colored dice that are all blue or all green and so on. That's pretty cool. That's slick. Yeah. That's so a good idea. We'll have a link to their Etsy shop. Feel free to check them out. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. All right. So that's it for Die Roll, Brett, next week. Next week, and we're going to dig back. Peter Skeins had asked us to talk about this a while ago, and we're going to pull up in-game meta currencies, um, for example, like Inspiration in 5e type of thing. We've chatted about this a little bit with different um, small like mini-games and so forth, but he, uh, Peter had mentioned like how he thought it didn't seem to work very well. Some seem to work better than others and so on. So I figured, you know what? We owe Peter a good, we owe Peter a good topic, so we'll throw this one out there. So if we do not cover that particular topic for some reason it will be because we're going to get Paige Lightman on the show mm -hmm. 
And Paige is, in short, amongst other things, the 5e D&D uh, moderator on the 5e D&D Facebook page. Um, and she's been consistent uh, and positive force uh, with issues in ex- inclusivity uh, to include con and public play-based policies. We're going to see. I, we will get her on the show. It's just a matter of getting schedules to align. Well, if we, if for some reason that happens before this next episode, we will get to Peter's topic immediately after. Yes. That's yep. all there's to it. That's right. All right. Well, that's it for Gaming and BS, episode 240. I'm Brett. And I'm Sean. Good night and good game and all. <laughs> This episode of Gaming in BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Grand Miner, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Bissor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingMBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.